Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the jar. Hey, if you would, if you could pull this out of your program, uh, this is a little card. And then once you have it, let me see if I can hear it. Okay. Should sound like that. All right. It's amazing what you can get people to do sometimes. So, um, Hey, anyway, this is not for you to just wave, okay? This week, what I want to encourage you to do is to invite someone to our Thanksgiving Sunday. Thanksgiving is a great way for people to uh, connect. It's a great way for uh, people to uh, invite friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, uh, and to ask them to come. Um, Because going to church... Uh, during Thanksgiving is like if you're a good American. Like if you're not a good American, you don't go to church, you know. So if you have to use that even, you know, uh, do whatever it takes uh, to do so. Um, and next week, I'm going to be teaching on the subject, um, being thankful even in bad times. And I have a feeling you know some friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, who 2015, there's been some bad stuff happened to them. And maybe they've lost some hope. And maybe what they need is just some encouragement to be able to be like, you know what? I can make it through the holidays. Like, maybe I can get through Thanksgiving and Christmas. But they need to hear from the one who knows them best and loves them most, Jesus himself. And so I want to encourage you to invite them next week uh, to be a part of that. And our goal is not only to have 500 uh, cans of food, but to have 400 people. So um, we want to encourage you to go and invite one person. You only have to do one person, okay? So are you going to invite one person? Yes, okay. So next week we'll do that, and it'll be good. All right. Hey, uh, I don't have to tell you that our world has been rocked over these past couple of days as uh, we've seen uh, the tragedy of the terrorist attack in Paris. And, um, you know, sometimes I think when... When these kind of evils happen in our world, um, we just start like, well, what are we supposed to do? And the one way that I've found that God always is able to move is through prayer. And so as we're praying today, uh, as we open up, I really want us uh, to focus and pray for people um, that are in Paris as well. So let's pray. God, we know that uh, there are people who are really, really hurting today. Not only in our own community, but specifically in Paris, France, God. Families that are mourning the loss of a mom or a dad, a child, a grandparent. And God, in a, in a very real way, um, we want to be able to see you uh, comfort their needs. We ask, Lord, that you would... Uh, Come to those who feel so fearful and uh, they're scared to get out of their house or out of their flat, God. And so we just pray that through your power, God, you would send your comfort. And God, we know that this has undoubtedly um, impacted the lives of other countries and other people. And so, uh, God, we just ask that you would send your grace and mercy. God, we know that there is an evil one who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But we know, God, that good can overcome evil. And uh, we pray in Jesus' name that you would move in that country, in that city today, and that people would turn to you. We pray for many Christ followers 
who would have opportunities to reach out and show your love and your care to them. We ask now, God, that you would be with us as we sit here. We want to hear from you. There are people here today that uh, are coming in with all kinds of different things on their mind. But I pray right now, God, that you would speak through them. There's nothing really worthy of me speaking at all, but I do know that when your Holy Spirit comes and it transforms our words, that, that you move. And so, God, I pray right now that you would touch the life of each person in this place, that they're here not by coincidence, but that you really do want to speak to them. So come now and speak. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today we are concluding our series called Fight. And over the past few weeks, we have been looking at a very interesting kind of character in the Old Testament, uh, the first half of the Bible, a guy by the name of Samson. And uh, Samson, if you remember, was a person who had all kinds of potential that God had uh, placed in him a purpose and that his parents actually had dedicated to him uh, to God at birth. And so uh, here's a person who has tons of potential and tons of purpose that God wants to work in his life. And the call really on his life was to uh, go and to help deliver the Israelites God's people from a group of people that were enemies uh, called the Philistines. But instead of fulfilling the purpose that God had for his life, he, like so many men and women, he just kept messing up and messing up and messing up and messing up. He broke all of the vows that he had made to God. He chased after the wrong women, and we've talked about that, And then he caved into his own will rather than God's will. And if you remember, in the very first week, we said this about Samson. He'll come up on the side screen. That he was an incredibly strong man, but he had a dangerously weak will. A very weak will, even though he was physically strong. We also learned that one of his biggest problems was that he was uh, out of control with his emotions. That he was emotion-driven, not spirit-led. And last week, we talked about Samson and most men and most women. They don't ruin their lives all at once. How do they do it? A little bit. That's called retention, if you remember uh, what you did last time. People don't ruin their lives all at once. They do it what? One step at a time. One step at a time. And... We saw as Samson was given so much, like so many of us, but he blew it. He just blew it big time. Now last week we find this mammoth man who is physically strong lose all of his physical strength. And he had become a prisoner to the Philistines, the enemies again. And the first thing that the enemies did was they gouged out his eyes. In other words, scholars believe that what they would have done is that they would have burned out his eyes and then they would have scooped whatever was left over. I mean, LASIK surgery gone wrong. You know what I mean? Like this is bad news what happens to him. And so Samson here, his eyes are gouged out. He's in shackles and uh, he's walking around a circle grinding grain. There was this great big wheel in the middle, and he's walking around 
just like grinding this grain. Day after day after day, he's just walking around in circles, and he can't see, and it's just like an ox or an animal that they would have used. But no, they're using Samson. And in the midst of all of this, he is at his lowest point in his life. And so here's the question. What happens when you hit the lowest point in your life? What do you do when you've totally blown it? What do you do when you've done something that you can't undo? What do you do when you hurt the people around you that you love the most? And what do you do when you realize that you haven't really done in your life what God has called you to do, but you've just kind of wasted a season, maybe a week, a month, or years maybe, even of your life? Well, the problem with most men, and for that matter, for most women, is that when failure comes, we struggle with it. But when failure comes to men, we take it really, really, really personally. Because men and women, typically, they find value in different ways. For example, women find value in relationships. Is that true, women? Like, one of your greatest values, is that true? That you find it in relationships? Okay, I see some heads. I'm going to go with it, okay? So that's it. If not, this is all going to go bad real quick. So, women find value in relationships, and everything is about a relationship. It's like, hey, do you like me? I like you. Hey, how you doing? Um, Can we have a hug? Um, You know, you didn't text me back in 27 seconds, and I'm like texting. I don't know why you texted and text back, but I'm really upset right now that you're not texting me back. Are we still friends? Is everything good? Oh, you're so valuable to me. I love you. Please text me back. Oh, great. Now we're BFFs. Good. You know, everything's good. And so it's like all about relationships, like Everything for women is about relationships. For example, you go out to eat at a restaurant, and there's a group of people sitting around a table. And all of a sudden, one woman gets up, and she's like, i got to go use the restroom. And people are like, oh, well, do you want me to go with you? <laughs> well, I'm, well, yeah, sure, that'd be great. Well, I think I have to go too. And pretty soon there's like this mass exodus from the table and they're leaving and all the guys sit there and they're like, well, we're not going to talk about anything. So they just keep eating, you know, but the pilgrimage doesn't stop just from that table. They keep walking. And then there's other people in the restaurant and they're like, Hey, Hey, how you doing? You got to, we're, Oh, we're going to the restroom. You want to go? Oh, come on, come on. And like everybody floods into this restroom and they're like all in there by themselves, you know? And like, sometimes you're sitting there as a guy and it's like four hours. You're like, what are they doing in there? You know what I mean? But they're all there. Well, that's not the way that men are. Men uh, like to be liked and they need relationships, but Relationships are everything for men. We get value, men do, not so much out of relationships as we do accomplishments. What can I accomplish? How do I measure up? Did I win? Did I conquer something? 
We like to be liked, but it's not all about relationships. I mean, same situation. No guy ever leaves from the table and goes, Hey, I got to use the restroom. Any of you guys want to join me? I mean, it doesn't happen that way. And in fact, even, guys, this is the truth. If you get to a, a restroom and your friend's there, it's okay if you talk to each other. That's not a problem. But, you know, no eye contact. You just do not look. So when you get up to your stall, you know, you just look at the wall. Like, don't, you know, don't do one of these. Like, hey, you know, like, how's it going? That's why they actually put dividers up. Women, if you don't know this, there's dividers in all the stalls now. Because we had some men that were, you know, kind of like that. And we took their man card away. Okay? But men, when they go to the restroom, they don't talk. They don't look at, they're just like straight. You know, just look at the wall. That's it. Some of you, that's the only thing you're going to get out of this teaching today. But we'll, we'll hope for more, you know. See, for men, uh, it's not so much how do you like me as it is do you respect me? Do you respect me? And so when we fail at something, we take it very, very personally, and we often feel like we just can't recover from a failure. And this leads us to the big idea this morning, and it's this. It'll come up on the side screen. A man's greatest fear is failure, and his greatest pain is regret. A man's greatest fear is failure, and his greatest pain is regret. We don't want to fail. We want to measure up. We want to be successful. We want to accomplish something. And when we don't live up to our expectations or the expectations of people around us, we have this great sense of regret. I I could have done this. I should have done this. Why didn't I do this? For some men, the regret can be that you you betrayed a vow to your wife. You made a commitment to her for something, but you go to work one time and you see a hoochie mama and then all of a sudden things just totally change. Or you're looking at the screen and you're clicking on stuff that your wife could never compare to that airbrush model that's on the screen, but you keep doing it and you break vows. And you'll have to face the regret of betraying the person who has been most faithful to you. Or it could be the guy who's frustrated with his job. He knows that he was meant so much more than this crap job that he's in right now, and he's so frustrated, and he's so upset with what it is, and he looks around, and all of his buddies are making it, and they're doing well, and he's like living paycheck to paycheck, and he's so frustrated by it because he feels like a failure compared to everybody else around him. Or it could be a person who's married. And the reality is your marriage is pathetic. And the guy knows that it's bad. His wife knows that it's bad. And yet the man will not do anything to try to make it better. He just resigns to the fact it is what it is. There's nothing going to change about it. And he never does anything to make it different. He just kind of accepts it. Or it may not even be anything that is outward. It may be something that is actually inward within yourself. A guy that's like, every day, 
It's not something that's out there, but it's something inside him. And he knows, he absolutely knows that he's not making the mark. Maybe it's a promise that he made to God. Maybe it's a promise that he made to someone else. Maybe it's a promise that he made most of all to himself. And he keeps telling himself, I'll never, ever, ever, ever do that again. And then once he gets to the weekend, he just keeps doing it over and over and over again. And he feels like such a failure. Men, Samson's story has something in it today that you and I need to embrace. In fact, women, it's something that you need to embrace as well. And this is what it is. A failure is an event, never a person. Failure is an event. It's never a person. Samson is a guy who has failed over and 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 over again. And when it looked like he had failed way too much to a point where he's like, there's no way God could love me. There's no way God could use me. There's no way that God could forgive me for this particular thing. It's in that moment that God still works in his life. And he takes this broken man and he says, even with you, I'll do something good. In fact, for some of you today, maybe you've experienced a failure in your life right now. And you're just like over it. And I got some good news for you. You might be knocked out or might knocked down, but you're not knocked out. You think you've been knocked out, but you're not knocked out. You've just been knocked down. Today, if you feel like you've totally kind of been a loser, maybe in just an area of your life, Because you failed at something in your past. You're not a loser. You're not a failure. Because the truth is, folks, failure is an event. It is never a person. Failure is always simply an event. Never a person. Now, let's watch as Samson's story unfolds. Verse 23 in chapter 16. Judges is in the Old Testament, uh, the first part of the Bible. This is what it says. Now, the rulers of the Philistines, those are the bad guys, so these are the people against God, against God's people, assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. Now, let's pause there just for a second, and uh, let's kind of unpack this part of the Scripture. So the Philistines are in this place, Samson's in the middle of it, and it would be similar to what we would have as a coliseum today. And so there's these uh, chairs that are on top of each other all the way to the top, and in the middle is this great big open space. And there would have been about 3,000 scholars believe, maybe upwards to to 5,000 for this particular event, in which uh, all of the people are worshiping Dagon, their god, which was the god of the harvest. Now, anybody want to know what Dagon looked like? We've got a picture. Here we go. Let's look. He had a man head and a fish body. So he was a man fish god. That's who he was, man fish god. 
So all these people are like worshiping out loud. Memphis God, Memphis God, we're worshiping you. You're the Memphis God. You have taken Samson and you have removed him away. And they're like offering sacrifices and they're praising the Memphis God. Now, I'm not judging the Memphis God. I just like our God better. You know what I mean? Verse 24. When the people saw Samson, they praised their God saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands. The one who, what did he do? What does it say? Laid waste to our land. Okay. Now, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, no big deal. I'm going to let you know what happened. You remember we talked a couple weeks ago. Samson got 150 uh, pairs of uh, foxes. And in the midst of these foxes, he, he uh, tied their tails together and he put a torch, remember, right in the middle of their tails. And then he let them run out into the fields of the Philistines. And it started to catch a fire on all of their land and like all of their crops, they were all gone. And they're all like, he's the guy who burned our land. But that's not all that he did. And the one who did what else? What's it say? And what? And multiplied our slain. And he multiplied our slain. What's that mean? Do you remember the jawbone accident? Oh, it wasn't an accident, was it? It was an incident. He kills a, uh, a donkey. He takes the jawbone of the donkey. He goes out and he kills a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. And they're like, this is the guy we're talking about. Verse 25, while they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called out Samson out of prison and he performed for them. Folks, it doesn't get lower than that. Your eyes have been taken out. You're in shackles. You're doing the job of an animal. And now they bring you out in the midst of 3,000 to 5,000 people to be made fun of. He is totally and wholly humiliated in the midst of God's enemies. Failure at the massive extent. Now there are two responses to failure. The first one, the natural response, I think, is remorse. Remorse. Remorse says, I feel bad about what I did. I wish I wouldn't have done it. I'm just a bad person. And sometimes when we internalize this quite a bit, what we begin to start saying is like, I'm a bad person. I'm horrible. Why did I do that? I'm such a loser. I must be the worst person in the world. I actually hate myself for what I have done. Other times we don't internalize it. It's outward. And we're like, well, it's their fault. We start passing the blame. If, if my husband would have just done this, then I wouldn't have done that. Or you're the one that made me do this. If you hadn't have said that, I wouldn't have done this. I didn't ask for this. Remember with Samson? He did this with the woman, Delilah. Remember Delilah came and she like started having this little sexy dance with him. You know, it's like going to whip, whip, and watch me in that hey. You know what I mean? Like... I'm not right, am I? Like, I am not right. <clears throat> Some of you, that's all you're going to remember. But 
That's what sin, you know, he's like, no, 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 no. She did the whipping nay-nay on me. It's her fault. It's not my fault. And he takes this remorse, but it's like it's, he passes the buck. He passes the blame to someone else. And remember last week, guys, we talked about what kind of person was Delilah. She was a nagger, right? She was just naggy, 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 prodding him to a point where he was ready to kill himself. Remember? Some of you men were like, man, that was a good scripture last week, Pastor. I mean, that was good. So with remorse, what happens is we either blame ourselves and we feel horrible or we blame other people for the choices that we've made, but you feel horrible and you're like, I'm a loser. I'm not good. I'm not nice. It's my fault. I'm horrible. But there is a better response when you fail. And the better response is repentance. Repentance. You want repentance, says? I own it. It's not anyone else's fault. I own it. I did it. I was wrong. It's my fault. I blew it. But it's not, hey, I didn't do what God told me to do. It's I'm turning away from my way of life. I'm turning around and I'm going back toward God. I really want to change God. I want to do things differently. Remember last week, folks? Men don't ruin their lives all at once. How do they do it? One step at a time. The same way with repentance, folks. It's just one step that you have to turn around and you turn back to God. I mean, if you're going in the wrong direction, folks, if you're going in the wrong direction, what do you need to do? Just turn around. And that's what repentance is. Remorse looks at the bad and like beats themselves up and I'm horrible and nothing's ever going to be any different and I'm wrong. Repentance says, no, 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 you can change. Re means to actually run back. That word re means to run back. And pent means to the highest place, like a penthouse, the highest thing. So when you repent, what you're really doing is you're running back to God because his ways are higher and better than what your sinful ways are. That's what it means to repent. You turn it back and you run back to the highest kind of value. It's not just, hey, I feel bad, but, but I'm totally going to keep doing my own thing because I'm, I just feel bad. No, no, no. It's turning around and turning toward God. Because you realize that if I, if I do this, if I, just, if I just turn around and I start going to, toward God, He'll redeem me, He'll change me, He'll make me new. He'll do something in my life that I can't do on my own. Because all of us have things, folks, that we have done in our past that we cannot undo. You have things that you have done that you can't undo. The first church I pastored was a small little country church, had about 40 people. And uh, during the service, there was a time that they called joys and concerns. And basically what it was, was anyone could share a joy or concern, and then I would pray uh, for whatever those things were. And so one morning, uh, we got up and we're getting ready to head to church, my wife Jennifer and I, before uh, we had kids and she's like, I'm not feeling very good. And she told me, you know, what was going on. I'm like, okay, you can just stay here. And so I drive to church. We get to the joys and concerns time. And we're there and people are sharing different things. I'm like, hey, you know, I got a prayer request too. I said, uh, I want to pray that, um, you know, you'd be with my wife because she has a yeast infection. 
Now, that's the response I got right in that moment. Kind of like, oh, did he just say that? And then he did. You know, and he just starts, people start laughing. But I'm up there, and I'm like leading this thing, and all these people are laughing. I'm like, why are they laughing at my bride? This is my beautiful bride, and I have this heartfelt prayer request, and you're not going to pray for it? So immediately, I stop joys and concerns. I'm like, it's time to pray. I just had this real, real short prayer, because those people didn't deserve a long prayer, just a short prayer. And then they got a shorter sermon. But in the midst of that, I talked about people going to hell for, you know, making fun of people's prayer requests, you know, that kind of stuff. So the service ends, I'm at the back door, and people are leaving, you know, and, and I'm not smiling at anybody. I'm like, oh, what up? God bless you. Ugh. You know? People are walking by, and they're chuckling, and they're laughing. And I'm getting, like, more mad. I'm, like, getting more angry at this point. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to quit. These are some of the most insensitive people I've ever seen in my life. I have this beautiful bride. She's got this yeast infection thing going on, and they just have no clue what's going on. Well, finally, at the very end, this old farmer named Bob Allball, he walks up to me, puts his hands around my uh, uh, shoulders. He goes, boy, you don't know what a yeast infection is, do you? And I was like, no. They ain't praying for my wife. I know that. And then all of a sudden he like whispered it to me in my ear. And immediately I'm like. (laughs) And I start thinking, Jennifer is going to kill me. (laughs) It was the longest drive of my life. I mean, I'm thinking I've got to tell her. And this is what the worst part was. You know, not only did I have to tell her, but she's coming back to church next week. And when joys and concerns comes and they ask about answered prayers, they're going to be like, hey, Sister Jen, how's the yeast infection going? You know? Now, here's the point. Here's the point. There are some things you cannot undo. That scathing email that you send, that scathing text that you send to somebody else, you can't undo. That mean word that you say to your spouse, you say to your kids, you say to your parents, you say to the neighbors, when it goes out, you can't undo it. But you know what you can do? You can repent. You can't undo that bad, unethical thing that you did at work, but you can repent. You can't unsay what you said. You cannot undo what you did. You cannot unlook at whatever you looked at on that screen. But this is what you can do. You can repent. You can't undo, folks, some things in your life, but you can repent. Samson realized that he could not undo his past. He couldn't change what had happened in his past. But he could repent. He he couldn't take away the fact that he knew who he was created to be. 
That God had created him for a purpose. And even though he had undone all of that and messed it up, he realized that he still could repent. And every man in this place, you were created for more than where you're at right now. You were created for so much more than what you're doing right now. That God has an amazing plan for your life. And he's calling for many of the men to fight for those things. And to fight in the way that God calls them. Don't let your spiritual enemy, the evil one, lure you into remorse to the point where you're kind of like, you know what, I, I can't believe I did that, and I did that, and I'm such a horrible person, and I've messed up, and I've screwed up, and I've flubbed up, and things have just gone so south, and I'm a loser, and I'm a failure, and I just hate myself. But instead of remorse, think of repentance. God, I know that I haven't been going in the right direction, so I'm turning around, and I'm turning toward you, because I really believe that you can do something better. I'm going to turn away from my sin, and I'm going to go to the higher calling that you created me to be is to honor and glorify you folks here's the here's the truth you cannot change your past but you can change your future you can't change your past but you can change your future don't internalize your failure you are not what you did You are who God says you are. You are what God has called you to be. Verse 25. When they stood him among the pillars. So he's in the midst of this Colosseum. And there are these giant pillars that are supporting the weight of all of it. It says, then Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can fill the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. And let's pray this prayer out loud together. This prayer, it starts with, O God. What's it say? O God, please strengthen me just once more. I love that. God, please strengthen me just once more. I can't see. I'm in shackles, God. But give me strength just once once more. God, I have screwed up thousands and thousands and thousands of times. God, but just strengthen me once more. One time, God. Just once. That's all I'm asking for, God. Just one more time. You see, for the first time in Samson's life, he's like, God, it's no longer about me. My whole life, it's been about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. Me, myself, and I. That's who I hang out with. It's all about me. But now, God, this one time, I just want you to just once more, and I will honor you for the rest of my life. Samson makes it very clear in that moment. God, I'm no longer the main character of the story. I've tried to be the main character of my story for my whole life, and I'm done, God. I don't want to be the main character anymore. I want you, God. I want you to be the main character of my story. And here, Samson is at his lowest point. And nobody believes there's anything good in Samson. 
His eyes are gouged out. He's in shackles. He's walking around like an animal. But in a private moment with God. Have you ever had one of those before? You just kind of had a private moment with God. And you said, God, just, just one more time. Just give me a chance. You give me your strength, God. I screw everything up in my strength. I need your strength. And here's the take-home message, men, and for all of us, for, matter, for that matter, it's this. Even in our failures, God can still accomplish His purposes. Even in our failures, God can still accomplish His purposes. Now, what was God's purpose for Samson's life? Remember? It was to deliver the Israelites, God's people, from the hands of the enemies, the Philistines. Verse 29. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on the temple, on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. Verse 30. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all of his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more people when he died than when he lived. Samson is up there. He's like pushing with all of his strength. Just one more time, God. And he pushes it all and it all crumbles down on him. And it says in that moment that he killed more of the Philistines in his death. Then he did in all the years that he had lived. Folks, this just goes to show you that even in our failures, God can still use you. Even if you messed up, even if you screwed up, even if you haven't been whatever you think you should be, even in those moments, God says, I can still use you. I can still accomplish my purposes in you, even in the midst of your failures. So quit living in the past. Well, I shouldn't have, or I'm not this, or I'm not that, or, you know, I'm never, and uh, there's never going to, she's never going to trust me again, or financially, you know, I've just screwed it all up, and we're getting ready to file bank, and no, and, and I can't keep up with the Joneses anymore, and I just feel like a failure, and men especially, this is what I want to tell you, quit whining, quit whining, quit trying to Blame everything on everyone else and whatever it is and feel remorseful and decide to yourself, you know what? I'm just going to turn around and I'm going to start walking toward God. If you're a Christian, think about this. You have the same power that is in you if you're a follower of Christ as it was in Jesus Christ who overcame the grave. The same power lives in you. That's what the Bible says. The same power lives in you. But Chris, 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 you just don't understand. I mean, I have lied and lied and lied. My whole life feels like a lie. And I've become an addict and I've been cheating on people. And okay, repent. You just repent and you start moving forward. The past is in the past. 
You know, every once in a while, I want to teach my kids about the importance of forgiveness and repentance. I've only done it twice to each one of them. But I take their arms and they're like, Dad, but I messed up so bad, I'm so mad. And I pinch them really hard, actually. And you know what? They're like, Dad, ow! I'm like, okay, is it done? Yeah. Well, do you still feel it? Does it feel real bad? No, I'm, I'm okay now. But why did you do that? Is it in the past? Yeah. And you know what my kids say now? The past is in the past. It's in the past. You can't stay where you've been hurt or where you've been pinched. You've got to turn around and you've got to go forward with what God wants to do in your life. So guys, this is a question that I have for you this morning. Women, for you as well. What are the pillars that are in your life? What are the pillars that are in your life? And I want want you to answer a couple of questions, whether you do it now or you do it sometime this week. But in your program, here are two questions. The first one is this. What pillars are you pushing down? Are you finally getting to the point, this is the pillar that I'm going to push down? And here's the second one. How are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? So what are the pillars that you're going to push down? For some of you, it's the pillar of pride. I can do it. I can handle it. I can take care of things. you got all this pride in you. You're trying to control things. And you need a strength that is greater than your own. You need to push these pillars down. But you just keep living and doing the same thing, the same thing over and over again. Maybe you're addicted to something. Maybe you've been living a lie. Who knows what it is. But you need to push the pillars of pride down. Push it down. Maybe for others of you, you're angry, and your pillar is anger, and you're just like, I'm so mad, and I'm angry, and I don't even know why I'm mad and angry. I'm just mad at everything, and most of all, you're mad at yourself. You're angry at yourself. You need to push it down, but how are you going to do it? Because that's where the rubber meets the road. What are you going to do about it? You can't just say, hey, I want to be different, and then you don't do anything different. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again and expecting different results. you got to do something different if you want to be something different. Maybe for some of you guys, it's to pick up the phone call and say, man, i got an issue. I need some counseling. I need some help. If you need a Christian counselor, if you need a number, let me know. I've been there before. I couldn't do it on my own. I needed help from somebody else. And for some of you, you're like, oh, man, I can't afford. I couldn't do that. We have something that meets at 7 o'clock. Celebrate recovery. Help for lights, hurts, habits, or hang-ups. Every single Thursday, 7 o'clock. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. And I can't tell you the amount of difference it can make in your life. And some of you just walk by that like, Why? If you want to do something different, you got to change things up. Maybe you need to confess to your wife about something. Maybe you need to confess to some godly men. I need some help. Maybe you need to talk to your small group and say, you know what? Financially, we are just messed up. We are upside down. We need some help. Just let them know. Or maybe for some of you, what you need to do is you need to stop being an every now and then I come to church 
whenever it is I feel like it. And you'd actually become a man of God that says, you know what? I'm actually going to be the one who gets my butt up out of bed and I'm going to take the whole family. And when we get there, we're going to grow spiritually because our family is going to change. We're going to look different a year from now than we did. And I'm going to be the one that's willing to take the lead. Or maybe for some of you, you've got to stop thinking that your marriage is so great when you know in your heart it's bad. It's a bad marriage. She knows it. You know it. And you need to get some help. You need to love your way out of whatever you're going through. Or maybe you're not going to waste another day of trying to play super dad when the reality is you're never at home. You're working all the time, making all kinds of money. You know the greatest uh, regret that I hear from men in their 50s and 60s and 70s? They work their whole life and they never spend any time with their kids. And you just can't do that. Stop that stupid stuff. Be a good dad like right now. Say, today is the day. You know what? I've been going that direction, but I can change. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to be the dad that God has called me to be. Folks, if you're going down a wrong road, what do you need to do? Just turn around. It's just one step to turn around. Just say to God, God, it's not about me anymore. It's not about me and what I want. God, I want something different. And God, I've spent my whole life and I, I just haven't done what you've wanted me to do. But God, I want it to change. God, I'm sorry. God, I own it. This is nobody else. This is just me. And for the rest of my life, it's no longer about me. But if you're going to get to that point, guys, if you're going to get to that point, you can't do it in your own strength. If you could have done it in your own strength, you would have already done it. But you can't. You can't do it on your own. You can try, and that's what a lot of people do. They just try real hard. I'm going to change. Something's going to be different. I'm going to do it. And you can change some things in your life, but that whole thing that I just read to you, you can't change those things. You need a power that is greater than your own. And if you'll tap into a power, the power of God that is present right now, in this place, if you'll tap into that power, you can change and you can be a difference maker because your failures don't define you. God does. And he says, you're my son, you're my daughter. I am well pleased with you. I love you. I've got great things in store for you. Even in your failures, folks, God can accomplish his purposes. But you've got to tap into his power. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that your power would go deep into our hearts today. And God, I pray especially for the men who are here this morning, who this whole series we've been kind of gearing toward. God, would you do something significant in their life right now? Would you prompt them in some way of what that pillar is, of of what they could change and be and do differently? 
that your spirit would do a healing work where there's some brokenness. And God, no matter what we've done in the past, God, would you remind people this morning that they were created for so much more than their past. Their past is in their past. And you want to do a new thing today. God, give us strength to be able to push down what these pillars are in our life. And to take the steps to be the men of God that you've called us to be. And today, if you're still sitting there and you're feeling guilty or you've done something in your past and you think, I've blown it, I've messed it up way too much. Here's the good news. You are here today because God wanted to have you here because his great love is greater than your sin. Because even in our failures, God can still accomplish his purposes. So come right now, God, through your spirit. And would you move in people's lives and send your power through Jesus' name.